May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So, Happy New Year. Hope you all had a safe New Year. Although, to be fair, in the church's world, uh, we're well into the New Year, aren't we? We're into the third season of the New Year. So we've done Advent, we've finished Christmas, so we probably shouldn't have Christmas trees up anymore, and we're into Epiphany. So before you're not, we're into season three, and before you're not, in a few weeks' time, we'll be into ordinary time for about a second, and then we're into Lent. So uh, we are just whizzing through this new year. So it's not really a new year anymore, is it? And today is one of the busiest Sundays of the year, uh, for reasons I don't really understand. So uh, today is... just encourage this to work. It helps if you turn it on, apparently. So today, the church around the world, sort of, is commemorating uh, the baptism of our Lord. Actually, not really today, all around the world, because the Eastern Church uses a slightly different calendar. So yesterday was epiphany for us, but for the Eastern Orthodox Church, because they're on the Julian calendar, yesterday was Christmas Day. And epiphany for them is in 12 days' time. So, in 12 days' time, they'll be doing this. So, but we'll just pretend everyone's using the same date. So, um, baptism of the Lord. So, well, the Julian... Oh, no, I'm not going to get into that. You can ask me about Julian and Gregorian calendars later. Just so, in the 1500s, it was worked out that we weren't quite right with how the, the year going around the sun was. So they had to do 12 days all over again. Just imagine that, getting a whole extra 12 days in one year. <laughs> Doesn't sound... Well, if, it, if they were good 12 days, good. But if they were bad 12 days, oof, would have been a tough 12 days. So, this is a principal feast and should not be displaced by any other celebration. So we should have done it today. The only other problem is that yesterday was Epiphany, which is a principal feast and should not be displaced by any other celebration. So us priests go, which one should I do? And in Mark's telling of it, which we have not heard, but we've read all around it. So we heard from Mark's gospel reading during Advent about John the baptizer, who was on the other side of the Jordan doing his thing, this baptism of repentance. And we are going to hear in a few weeks' time at the beginning of Lent about John the baptizer, who baptizes Jesus, and then Jesus is sent off into the wilderness. So we kind of get to hear the story a lot. And in Mark's telling of it, it's quite an unsettling story. Like, I don't know what your picture of the story is, but it's, I'm sure we often think of it as quite a nice event and the angels singing and doves flying around, representing the spirit. But Mark's telling of it, well, it's very intense and there's almost an edge of violence to it. So the heavens get ripped open, not carefully unzipped, not they just nicely part. They get ripped open, that's the Greek, ripped open. And then the spirit descends like a dove, which I'm sure we all have a gentle idea of that. But one of the commentators I listened to described that as a dive-bombing dove, not a nice dove. And this dove, then the spirit possesses Jesus as he comes out of the water and he hears the words, you are my beloved son. And the spirit then drives Jesus back across the Jordan 
and up into the Judean wilderness where he spends 40 days wrestling with what it means to be the Son of God and how he might live that out while being tested by the Satan. So this is not an easy story. This is an unsettling story. There's an element of violence about this story and a, certainly a rupturing story. There's a, this is a point in Jesus' life which is before baptism and after baptism. And that's why it's such an important moment in the church's calendar because this really is the beginning of the revelation of God in Jesus. At this point, he begins to live that out consciously so that all could see what the reign of God looks like. And so for many Christians, this day is far more important than Christmas. Christmas is nice, but this, this is up there almost with Easter. So it is an important day, because this is the day where the work of Christmas begins, at Jesus' baptism. But I chose not to go with that, because our Magi have been spending time over there and up there and then down there, and I thought they actually deserved their moment, actually, at the nativity scene. So I put them there, and there are still shepherds, so I'm committing a cardinal sin of confusing the two stories of Luke and Matthew, which are two entirely different stories. So there are no shepherds in Matthew's version. So Matthew is the one we heard today. But it too is an intense, unsettling, and this time very violent story. So these Magi, in all likelihood, were Zoroastrian priests from Persia. Uh, and they've always been pictured as Persian. So if you go to Bethlehem, to the Church of the Nativity, when the Persians swept through there, they demolished almost everything in their path, except the Church of the Nativity. Because on the door, above the door of the church in the Nativity, was a beautiful mosaic honouring the Magi as Persians. And they arrived and they went, this place honours our ancestors. And so they left the church of the Nativity alone and carried on their destructive way elsewhere. And Zoroastrianism still exists today, much smaller than it was in those days. And these people... These people had read in the stars that a new king had been born. Now that, if you know your Torah, is specifically condemned by Torah. So they are to be stoned, not welcomed, not honoured. They are blasphemous. And they go to Jerusalem to find out where this king might be. And here's the interesting thing. The outsiders who were to be stoned because they were to be condemned, they had seen the signs, but no one in Jerusalem had seen the signs. Not the high priests, not the scribes, not the Pharisees, and definitely not Herod. Because if Herod had known about it, he would have done something about it. And so he hears about these Magi and he invites them to come to a secret meeting. And at this meeting he tells them, you know, go down there, find out where this is happening, and I will go and honour them. But of course, they were quite insightful Magi. They worked out that something dodgy was going on here. And, uh, and they knew Herod's reputation. And Herod's reputation was not a nice reputation. Herod's reputation was one of paranoia and fear 
that somebody else was trying to claim his throne. And anyone he thought was trying to claim his throne would die, including wives and children. If they looked like they were trying to usurp him, he got rid of them. And so they quickly worked out, and this was confirmed in a dream, that Herod was not to be trusted. And so they go down to Bethlehem, which is the home of Mary and Joseph in Matthew. That's where they come from. That's where they're living. They're not in a stable. They're not visiting relatives. This is their home. And so in this story, there is a rupture. There is before the visit of the Magi and after the visit of the Magi. Because the visit of the Magi brings death. Death to all the little boys under two years old. Herod sends his troops behind the Magi to kill anyone who might take his throne. So this is a brutal story. And we often leave that bit of the story out because it's a bit ugly, really. And this forces Mary and Joseph to leave home, to go south to Egypt where they become refugees. And after Herod's death, they go back, but they don't go home. They do not return to Bethlehem where their family is. They do not go to Bethlehem where their lives are. They go to Nazareth in Galilee, a small, poor village out of the way where they can live in obscurity, they hope, not catching the eye of the authorities. Beginning again as strangers in a new place. So both of these stories have points of rupture before and after. And that really is what that repentance of, bapt of repentance, baptism of repentance was all about. It's a point of rupture before and after. It's about seeing for Jesus the world differently. For Mary and Joseph it was about living in the world differently. Epiphany originally was a celebration of three events in the Bible. The coming of the Magi, the baptism of the Lord, and the wedding at Cana. And still is in the Eastern Church. So they still hold those three events together. But in the Western Church, for reasons I don't understand, maybe they just wanted to confuse parish priests who were trying to hold it all together, they separated them out. So on, December, on January the 6th we have Epiphany, and then on the next Sunday we have the Baptism of the Lord, and we're supposed to observe both. Which is fine if you hold services every day, but if you have them on just on Sunday, it's like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here. So... The theme of this is revelation. The revelation of God in Jesus. Who is this God we meet in Jesus? And what are we supposed to do about it? How do we live that revelation ourselves? So it's not just about those events, but it's also about us and how we become a divine revelation, a revelation of the divine nature. What does it mean to be followers of Christ? So I'm going to hand over to Rob Bell at this point, and I invite you to sit back and to think about what Rob has to say about some of these things. Uh, this is a slightly old video, but I, and it's about <coughs> Americans, so they're slightly more...
you than us. But everything he says holds true for today.